Amen. Amen. Well, good evening, loved ones. What a joy. I mean that in every sense of the word. Uh, what a joy it is to be here with you again. Such a privilege and gift to be able to gather another week as the church. Let's open up our Bibles. And here it is. Ready? Open up our Bibles to the book of Acts to the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. And if you do not have a Bible in your lap, put your hands up right now because our ushers are coming by and they want to give you a Bible. Here at Hope Ottawa, if you've been here for any length of time, you know we believe that the Bible is the authoritative word of God, it is inerrant, it is sufficient, and we go verse by verse, line by line, by God's grace through it. Because the Lord builds his church through it. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. And um, loved ones, today, I mean, it's always a great day when the church gets together. Uh, Something special about today is that we are jumping into our new series on the book of Acts. The book of Acts called To the Ends of the Earth. A study through Acts, and we will be, Lord willing, going through this book for the next two to three years, verse by verse, line by line. And the title of this series, or the title of this series and message tonight is taken from the theme of this entire book. If you were to map out the book of Acts from Acts 1-1 to the end of chapter 28, you would see this theme woven all the way through it. Ready? Write this down. Main theme of the book is this, witness. Witness. Witness is the main theme of the book. What is that? The spread of the gospel around the world. And in fact, the key text that sets the trajectory for the entire book of Acts comes from chapter 1, verse 8. You'll see it on the screen. It says this, but you will receive power. This is Jesus talking to the disciples. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my, say it with me, witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria into the end of the earth. He says, you will be my witnesses. Now, if we're going to understand the book of Acts, we better understand what Jesus is talking about when he says witness. The Greek word for witness that we see used in the New Testament is this. It is martus. Can you say that? Martus. It's a Greek word, martus. It's where we get the word martyr from. Martus. And it means one who preaches or testifies on their lips and in their life, preaches and testifies to the person and work of Jesus Christ and is unafraid. One who is unafraid and ultimately, is where we get that word martyr from, willing to die for the faith. So that, why? That others may live. That others may live. Isn't that a beautiful theme? Look at the theme of Jesus' life, that others may live. Isn't that a beautiful theme for the church? That others may live. And in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now, let's get some context on the book of Acts. Get your pens ready. You'll see it on the screen. Make sure we're taking good notes on this. Here's the overview of the book of Acts. Number one, it was written by Luke. 
written by Luke. You say, hey, wait a second, isn't there another book written by Luke? In fact, there is. It is the Gospel of Luke. And Luke was not one of the original 12 apostles. In fact, Luke was a physician. He was a doctor. And I love this. We believe the inspiration of Scripture. It's called verbal plenary inspiration, loved ones. And what that means is that the Holy Spirit inspired every word of God, and he used human authors to do that. And what he did in those human authors is he used their personalities, he used their backgrounds to convey the truth of God as he wanted it. Every word is inspired in God's word. Every word is sufficient for the work of God. That is why every word gets preached. And so you'll see this throughout the book of Acts as well in the Gospel of Luke. Luke is very detail-oriented. That's why in uh, the book of the Gospel of Luke, you see the night of Jesus' crucifixion, or the night before it, it says he was sweating like blood. You won't find that in the other Gospel. Why? Sweating like blood. Luke includes that because he's coming from a physician's perspective. And so you see through verbal plenary inspiration how God used the various personalities and the characteristics and the background of the writers, and yet it was all under the sovereignty of God. That's why you'll have different people come up here and preach. Pastor Earl, who preached here last week, love him. He preaches in a very different style than I do. Same word. All right? So Luke is a physician, but he wasn't just a doctor. He was a meticulous historian. He got the facts right. He investigated them. He used eyewitness accounts from himself, but also others. And he was an eyewitness to the work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit through the apostles. Now, here's another thing about Luke. Luke was a close friend or companion and actually the personal physician of the apostle Paul, who, starting in Acts chapter 9, you're going to see really starts to take the lead in the Acts narrative. This book is addressed to a man named Theophilus. You'll see that in verse 1. It's addressed to a man named Theophilus. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Theophilus, but you'll notice this, that the Gospel of Luke is addressed to this same man. And what we do know is that uh, he was a Roman dignitary. That's why he says most honorable Theophilus in the Gospel of Luke to start it off. It could have been Theophilus was a seeker. He wasn't a believer yet, but he's investigating the reports. That's why Luke says, I'm writing these in Gospel of Luke so that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. It could be that Theophilus was a new Christian. We just don't know. So it is written by Luke. Here's the second thing we need to understand. Acts is the second part or the continuation of Luke's Gospel. Acts is the second part or the continuation of Luke's Gospel. See, it was written, Luke and Acts were written originally to be a single continuous work. A single continuous work. That's why the book of Acts, after the prologue in verses 1 to 11, where it gives a quick recap, the book of Acts picks up where Luke left off after the ascension. All right? It picks up where Luke left off after the 40-day period between Jesus' resurrection and ascension. Here's the third thing about the book of Acts we need to understand. It is a, what's called the genre of it, a historical narrative. Acts is a historical narrative. It encompasses the years from 33 AD to 64 AD. So it's about 30 years of church history. 
is the first a span of first 30 years of church history, and it details the growth of the church from Jerusalem, where it started, to Rome, which was the, known as the end of the earth at that time. To Rome, in response to the Great Commission. So really, get ready, because for the next two to three years, off and on, we'll put some other series, Lord willing, in there. But for the next two to three years, we're going to be studying church history. Bring it on. But you know what struck me when I was prepping this week? It's not just church history. It's our family history. If you're saved in Jesus Christ, you've repented of your sin and confessed him as your Lord and Savior. These are your brothers and sisters. It's your family history, the book of Acts. I love that. Do any of you like diving into your family history and finding out? Yeah, bring it on. Maybe some of you are like, I don't want to know my family history. Okay. You want to know this family history. All right? It's family history. Now, here's what we have to understand about narrative. Narrative is one of the genres. There's historical books. There's wisdom books. There's eschatological books. There's all of that stuff. But when you see narrative books in Scripture, careful your interpretation. Because narrative genre, you have both descriptive pieces of it and prescriptive pieces of it. There's descriptive pieces describing Christ's work in here in Acts in the early church. We're going to describe what he was doing. We see it laid out in Scripture. We're going to walk through that. But also at times, narratives are what's called prescriptive. And this is so important for interpreting the Bible if we're going to do it correctly under the power of the Holy Spirit. It's prescriptive at parts, commanding what must be done in all churches. You say, what do you mean by that? Here's some things. Number one, um, we're called to witness, right? Every church, every believer is called to witness. That's prescriptive from the book of Acts. We are called to preach unapologetically God's word. You think you see that in the book of Acts? Oh yeah, you bet. We are called to pray fervently. Jesus says my house is to be a house of prayer. We're to pray fervently. You see that throughout the book of Acts and so much more. Not forsaking meeting together. You see it all. But... There's also descriptive elements that you can't just take and say, well, that's how it's going to be right now. For example, for example, just run a few. If you're ever in prison, it's not prescriptive that when you sing praises, the doors are going to fly open. So you can't say that. Well, I'll just sing really loud and that jail will fly open. It's not, everyone say it's not prescriptive. We'll see it happen in Acts. It's descriptive, but it's not prescriptive. Secondly, here's another one. This is why we don't cast lots anymore. In fact, after they choose Matthias, you won't see that again. So we don't lay out a fleece, cast the lot. We don't see that anymore. Why? Because we have the finished canon of Scripture. It says in the abundance of counselors, their safety. God's given us his word. We don't need to be casting lots anymore. It's descriptive of what was happening. Here's another one. Here's a big one. Um, that uh, speaking in tongues is the mark of one's salvation. But if you don't speak in tongues, it means you're not saved. You don't see that anywhere. It's not in here. That's descriptive of what's happening as the church was breaking into the world by the power of the Holy Spirit. I can't wait to get to chapter 2. Power up, that message is called Pentecost. Uh-huh. 
right? But let's interpret it rightly. Here's another one. Um, if someone dies, um, you can't, it's not prescriptive for us just, well, we'll just bring them to the front and lay hands on them and they'll spring back to life like Dorcas did. Can God still heal? Yeah. Yeah, he can. Is it prescriptive, though, when someone dies that we all come together and then they'll just pop back up? No. Here's another one from Acts 28. Um, Just because God allowed the apostle Paul to get a viper on his hand, and then the entire island of Malta started to fear the Lord, doesn't encourage us. It's not prescriptive for us to go pick up viper snakes. In fact... As a father of four boys, just please let me exhort you. Don't pick up poisonous snakes. Don't do that. It's just not a good idea. All right? But you'll read how God used even that. Getting fired up for the book? Uh Uh-huh. All right? So you have to keep it in mind, the genre that we are studying. And this is why we go verse by verse, line by line through the book, because the danger is you take one verse and you make it prescriptive and you twist it to meet all your needs and it can mess a lot of people up and entire churches. This is why we go through the whole book, the context, and align it with the, what does the rest of the canon say in scripture? Here's another one in the book of Acts. The, Acts, the period of Acts describes a transition, these 30 years. It's a 30-year transition between Jesus' earthly ministry, while he was fully God, fully man, he died, and then he rose again and appeared for 40 days in bodily form. But it's the transition between his earthly ministry to his ministry from heaven. You know, Jesus is still at work, right? Jesus is now fulfilling his ministry from heaven as he builds his church through the work of the Holy Spirit and God's people. Jesus is still working out his divine program for the redemption of all creation. And so as we see him working out this plan, here's what we're going to see. Here's a little snapshot for the book of Acts. We're going to see miracles, miracles, salvations, Healings, demons cast out, earthquakes, shipwrecks, prison doors open, mounting opposition and persecution against the church, sorcery, visions, court cases, courageous faith, fervent prayer, power of the Holy Spirit, churches planted, and an intimate look at the practical outworking of life in the early church as they devoted themselves to the mission Jesus had entrusted to them to be his witnesses, that same mission he's given to us today. So what's point five on this? Acts overview? Buckle up. Buckle up. Here we go. Loved ones. Why is this book so important at this time? You'll see it on the screen. Write it down. Because the mission of the church is to continue the ministry of Jesus. This is the mission of the church. To continue the ministry of the head of the church. Jesus Christ, as he is at work through the power of the Holy Spirit, through his word in the lives of his people, to see it fulfilled by his power and for his glory. But that leads us to a problem that you and I face every day. Every day. And we need to fight against. Have you ever noticed this, loved ones? It's really hard to stay living on mission as Christ's witnesses, isn't it? It's really hard. We get distracted. There's idolatry. Worship of other things. 
There's pursuing the kingdom of man over the kingdom of God, storing up earthly treasure instead of heavenly treasure. It's really hard to live as his witness. The fear, what happens if I share my faith? What's going to happen to my job? What's going to happen to my relationships? What's going to happen to my family? Right? It's hard to live on mission, isn't it? Often we don't live on Jesus' mission but our own. Self-glory, not God's glory. Fear of man and fear of circumstance instead of faith in God. Comfort and convenience we pursue instead of sacrifice. Serving of self and over-serving the Lord. Prayerlessness instead of fervent prayer. More desire for the word of the world than the word of God. Seeing our kingdom build and not God's kingdom and the list goes on and on. You know it and so do I. And what's the result? What's the result by not living faithfully on mission? Joylessness, faithlessness, complacency, consumerism, compromising believers and entire churches that do not fulfill the mission that our King, Jesus Christ, has entrusted to us. You think it's important we nail this down and we go after this and address it? You bet. The mission's at stake. God's glory is at stake. So what's the goal of this entire series? Right here, loved ones. To exalt Jesus Christ and grow our faith in fervency for and expectancy of God's presence and work among us as we live out his mission and his power. And here's my prayer. Since I first started prepping the first message and even planned it out in the preaching calendar a year ago, I'm praying for revival in the church. Nothing less than revival in the church. A revival for the things of the Lord. A revival of a hunger for God's word. A revival of hunger for prayer. A revival for holiness of God. And not just consumerism. A revival and say, whatever it takes, God, whatever you ask, I'm in. No sacrifice too great. Will you join me in praying for revival in the church? Spiritual awakening for the lost. Revival in the church. See, it all starts right here. Big idea for the text today, and you'll see it right here. This is where it all starts. Write this down. Jesus has entrusted us with his mission, and we must live as his witnesses. There it is. Jesus has entrusted us. We didn't earn the mission. He's entrusted us with his mission, and we must live as his witnesses. And here in our text this week, and we'll pick it up part two next week, we will see the foundation from which all faithful witness must come from, and the truths that we must hold fast to and increasingly live out in our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit to see God's kingdom come, to see his will be done as the church of Jesus Christ advances for his glory. You ready to go? Witnesses, part one. Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word, and we will read the first five verses of this prologue, Acts chapter one, verses one to five. Let's read it nice and loud. Kids, Bibles open, love seeing it. Nice and loud, let's go. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Hear the word of the Lord and all God's people said... Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. All right, let's go. Well, Jesus has entrusted us with his mission. 
And we must, here's where it starts, right here. Remember our confidence for mission. Remember our confidence for mission. What's our confidence as we leave here? And we go into our workplaces, and we go into our families, and we go into the grocery store and around the neighborhood. What's our confidence? Right here, that Jesus lives. Amen? Jesus is alive. Say that with me with conviction. Ready? Jesus is alive. Let that fuel your confidence for witness. Jesus is alive, and that changes everything today. Let's say it again. Jesus is alive, and that changes everything today. Question, is your confidence in him? When our confidence has shifted, our witness shifts too. Is your confidence in him? Look at, go back to the text, verses one to three. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. See, Luke begins the prologue with a brief recap of where he left off in Luke 24 by telling Theophilus that in his first book he wrote to him, he wanted to clearly and accurately describe the life of Jesus. That's the gospel of Luke. All that Jesus, you see it in verse 1, began to do how he lived, the work that he did, and what he taught to do and to teach. From Jesus' birth until, you see in verse 2, he was taken up. What does that mean, taken up? It's his ascension to his father after rising from the dead, which we will see more of next week, Lord willing. And that ascension signified the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, his ministry on earth, fully God, fully man, and the start of his heavenly ministry through his disciples to build his church. Now, I want you to notice, go back to the text, verse 2. Check this out. Notice what it says. Jesus ascended after he had given commands to the apostles. He taught them the truth necessary. What's he doing in those 40 days? He taught the apostles the truth necessary to continue his work through the Holy Spirit. And notice this. Do you notice a picture of Jesus' humanity here? Notice. He had given commands, verse 2, through the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? The Holy Spirit empowered Jesus' ministry. He empowered Jesus' ministry. He empowered Jesus' teaching. And he empowered the disciples, just like he must today, our ability to understand it. And we'll get to more about the Holy Spirit in a little bit. But let's get some clarity right out of the gate. You see that term apostles there? Circle that. Apostle, Greek word means sent one. Okay? So the apostle is one who is sent out. And specifically, Luke is referring to the 12 apostles originally chosen by Jesus. But, of course, there's only 11 with him here now because Judas has died and after he betrayed Jesus. Now, who were these apostles? Let's be clear to avoid any error moving forward. These apostles were personally and sovereignly chosen by Jesus and trained by him and commissioned to speak his name. Did you see that in verse 2? Until the day when he was taken up after he given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, specifically chosen, to do what? What are the apostles supposed to Just go to the text. Let the scripture speak. Verse 3, to be witnesses to his resurrection. Notice how it says, he presented himself alive after his death to them. They saw 
the resurrected Christ. They touched, they ate with, as we'll see in a little bit, the resurrected Christ. Now, what was the function of the apostles? They had three functions. Receive, write, and declare God's word by the Holy Spirit. Number two, they were to lay the foundation or blueprint of the church. They were given what's called apostolic authority to do that. And if you want some backup for that, just go to Ephesians 2, verse 20. It says, the church built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So they laid the foundation or the blueprint of the church. Number three, the apostles confirmed the truth of God's word, confirmed the truth of the gospel through signs and wonders as the church was breaking into the world. Jesus gave them authority to do that. Now here's what's key. Although we see this office present in the book of Acts, this office is not present in the church today. Remember that, loved ones. It's not present in the church today. Why? Recap from our Ephesians 4 message. Listen, we do not need a person on their own authority claiming apostolic authority to provide a blueprint for the church anymore. We don't need that. Why? Because we have the authority of the Bible, the closed canon of Scripture, the revelation of God, all that he wanted to reveal about how the church is to function. The role of the apostles is not active in the church today. We have the authority of the Bible to tell us how the church should function. And as the church got established, the role ceased. And you may say, well, wait a second. Aren't I chosen? If I'm saved, aren't I chosen? And don't I have a commission to go? Wait a sec. How can you say? Glad you asked. Yes, if you're saved in Christ, if you've repented of your sin and confessed him as Lord and Savior... You have been sovereignly chosen too, before the foundation of the world. And you have been, if you're truly saved, you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And you've been commissioned by Christ to go and make disciples. But listen, these general principles of what it means to be saved are not what Luke is referring to here. It's the special, unique qualifications that we've outlined Chosen, called to Christ, but not, listen, you and I might be chosen by Christ and commissioned by Christ, but we're not to be writing scripture. We might be called and chosen by Christ, but we're not to be laying a new foundation of the church. If it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. Right? And, and I don't know about you, but I've never seen Jesus physically resurrected and touched him. Have you? And Jesus gives a strong warning of anyone who's adding new revelation to his word. Don't believe me? Just look at Revelation 22, 18 and 19. He says, plagues will accompany that person. Don't add anything or take anything away from my completed word. But here's the key question we need to ask. Why did Jesus bother to present himself over these 40 days? Why'd he do that? Why didn't he just, after he resurrected, just go straight up? Here's why. To give the apostles confidence. To give them confidence in proclaiming and demonstrating his word as his witnesses. And to show them that he is alive and cannot be stopped. Amen? I fire you. Jesus is alive. Now just think about this. You say, what were some of these many proofs that he used 
over the 40 days? Well, we see in John chapter 20, Mary Magdalene, she stands face to face at the empty tomb and she speaks with Jesus three days after he was killed and buried. And then also in John 20, the disciples are sitting in a room and, it's, and they're fearful and it's all locked up in the room as they're being hunted down and they're fearful for their lives after Jesus has died. What does Jesus do? Walks through the wall. He just walks through. He's like, you lock your doors. I'll just go through your walls. It's all good. Jesus just walks through the wall and he says, peace with you. Peace. Don't be afraid. And then if that wasn't enough, Thomas, one of the disciples, wasn't there the first time. So then later on in John 20, Jesus does it again. And he says, hey, Thomas, want some proof? Just put your, put your finger right in the scar. Go ahead. Just walks in. Boom. You don't think their confidence was fired up from that? Oh, yeah. But it doesn't stop there. John 21, Jesus appears to the disciples on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, gives them a miraculous catch of fish, and, oh, yeah, has breakfast with them. He's just eating. What's up, guys? Maybe first some cook- cookout? Mm-hmm. A little fire pit. And then he reinstates Peter. Why did he do that? Why do you do all these things? To give them and us today confidence, boldness, and courage in carrying on his mission. It's like, I'm with you. I can't be stopped. It's like that that saying, you've probably heard it from those movies, God's not dead, he's surely alive. God's not dead, he's surely alive. That's why Jesus is appearing to them. He's not dead. He can't be stopped. He's sovereign. And the kingdom of God will continue to advance in the hearts of men all across this world. Why? For one reason, because Jesus is alive. Because Jesus is alive. He will save who he has chosen to save in his time, by his power, for his glory, and will build his church to the ends of the earth. And no scheme of man, no scheme of the devil can stop that. Can't stop it. The risen king's ministry continues simply because the king is not dead. Not dead. Let's go, church. Let's go. See, remembering he's alive means this. Here's what this means for us on a daily basis. When you remember our confidence that Jesus is alive, here's what it means for us in our witness. It's never just another moment. It's never just another conversation on a bus. It's never just another conversation with your coworker. It's never just another conversation with your spouse. It's never just another Saturday night or prayer night or small group or counseling session or whatever it is. Why? Because Jesus is alive and is advancing his kingdom. Does that fire up your expectancy? Let's stop living like Jesus is dead. So much of the church today, just living like Jesus is dead. Where's the fervency? Where's the expectancy? Where's the faith? Where's the courage? Where's the boldness? It's never just another moment. Come on. Church, let's ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, fire that up, that faith in me. Jesus is alive and that changes everything today. Is your confidence in him? And you may say this, my marriage is too far gone. The hurt is too deep. You may say, that person's heart is way too hard. That situation is way too difficult. Oh, this church? No, no, no. Could never plant a church. Who said that? Where's that coming from? That's not based on a confidence that the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, is alive and can do anything he wants. 
is your confidence in him to do and teach like Jesus did, imitating his ministry, boldly, fearlessly, proclaiming in word and works the beautiful, unstoppable power of the gospel of Jesus. Because here's the reality, here's the truth, write this down. If our confidence is not in Jesus, our witness will not imitate Jesus. If our confidence is not in Jesus, our witness will not imitate Jesus. We will compromise, we will go in fear every single time. Are you remembering he's alive? And you may say this, well, how do I cultivate a life of remembrance? Because you and I, if you're anything like me, you leak. You leak. And the, and the cares of the world just come crashing in, dogpiling in, and there's all these distractions. Are we remembering? How do we cultivate remembrance? We see two things right from our text here. Did you catch them in one to three? First is this. Cultivate remembrance. Draw near to Jesus. Draw near to Jesus. Verse three. Like what he did right here with his disciples. Notice what he did. He presented himself, called them in, and they came close. You don't touch someone's scars from a distance. He drew them close. Like what he did right here. He's making sure he's got them together. James 4, 8, today for us, says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Repent of your sin. He says, cleanse your heart, you sinners. Repent of our sin and come to him. And remember his power, his presence, he is alive. Second thing we see right here, we got to draw near. Are you drawing near? Abiding in a word? Here's another one we see right from verse 3. Fellowship in Jesus. Draw near to Jesus. Fellowship in Jesus. What did Jesus do? He appeared to them corporately and he said, you come together. And we see this worked out in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 to 25. It says, let us consider how we can stir one another up to good deeds. Don't stop meeting together. Don't stop meeting in your small groups. Don't stop meeting on Saturday nights. Don't stop meeting together to encourage one another and stir one another up to love and good deeds. Remember that Jesus is alive. And when you're feeling dogpiled and when you're feeling down and weary and discouraged, a loving brother or sister comes alongside and says, but remember Jesus. Remember him. Weep with those who weep. Mourn with those who mourn, but point them to the hope that they have in him. Yes, Lord. Fellowship in Jesus. What's your next step? Right there, right from the text. And, there, and there's, a, there's others, but right from the text, what's your next step? Are you drawing near? Are you forsaking the fellowship of the saints? Hey, online, love you so much. Glad you're tuning in. Watching online is not the same as being in person. It's just not. You don't get the fire in the room. You don't get the unity. You don't get the intimacy. And I get there's times you're sick, whatever you got to say. But do whatever you need to do. To not forsake the gathering of the saints. Rearrange schedules of kids. Do whatever you need to do to not forsake it. See, Jesus has entrusted us with his mission. And to live as his witnesses, we must remember our confidence that he's alive. And final point today, with this, we must rely on his promise for witness. What's his promise to us for witness? The Holy Spirit. The giving of the Holy Spirit. Here's the truth. It's a shot to our pride, but it's such a welcomed one. We, you and I, can do nothing without the Holy Spirit. You and I can do nothing without the Holy Spirit. Will you depend on him? Your witness depends on it. So does mine. Look at four and five. Go back to the text. It's so good. Watch this. Verse four. And while staying with them, the word staying there, by the way, also means eating. Another proof of Jesus is physical resurrection. Cool. Very cool. He's eaten with them. 
He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. Anyone here have struggle waiting? Is anybody? Is that maybe just me? Hey, way to go, sound booth. I'm not alone. Yay. All right, there we go. He says to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be, ba- look at that promise, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. See, at a certain time during that 40 days, while Jesus was eating with his disciples during that period, he commanded them. This is a command. It's not a suggestion. Hey, maybe you'll want to hook up with the Holy Spirit because he might be a little bit of help to you later, but you got what it takes. You do it. You've got the gifts and the skills and all this. Everyone says, it's not what he's doing. It's not a suggestion to wait for the Holy Spirit. He commands them to wait. And there's a reason for that. He goes, you sit down until that spirit comes, until I send him. He commanded them to wait where? Look at the text. In Jerusalem. And not just run headlong into trying to fulfill the mission. Where you go, guys? Do it. He was entrusting them with to be his witnesses and make disciples of all nations. The same mission for us today. Why? Look at verse 4. Go back to the text. Verse 4. He told them to wait. That means word wait there. Watch this. Write this down. means to remain or be steady regardless of temptations to do otherwise. Regardless of the temptations to just rush into something. I got to get it done. I got to go do that. I got to be sure that I'm on this and there's so much work to do and I got to do that. He says, wait to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You're tempted. Oh man, Jesus is going. What do we got to do? And we're going to do all this. And does that describe some of our schedules and mindsets going into each day? Yes, me too. Wait, regardless of the temptation to do otherwise. For what? The promise of God the Father that, verse 5, they would be baptized. The word baptized there means immersed with the Holy Spirit just a few days later. What what do you mean a few days later? At Pentecost, 10 days later, actually. We'll see that, Lord willing, in chapter 2. Now, you notice he makes this comparison with John the Baptist here. John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, a personal favorite of my boys and I. John the Baptist, eating bugs. That's cool. Camel hair. No need for a comb. Love it. So he says, John baptized with water. See, Jesus is speaking of John the Baptist, whose mission it was to prepare the people for the coming of Jesus to earth. And to do this, he baptized people in water, in a baptism of repentance, which recognized when people got baptized by John the Baptist, they were recognizing their desire to turn away from their sin and turn towards God in preparation for Christ's coming. And so notice what Jesus does. He prepares the, the, he compares the baptism of John with an even greater baptism that's coming. They're not going to be immersed with water at that moment. This baptism, notice this, is the baptism of the Holy Spirit who would empower the apostles with the power of God to carry on Jesus' ministry and fulfill his mission of making disciples and seeing him build his church. See, here's what Jesus knew and what you and I must know today, what the apostles needed to know right here. You and I, and even these apostles, have no power in ourselves to accomplish this mission. None. I don't care how good you and I think we are at something, how skilled, how eloquent with our words, you and I have no power on our own for any spiritual good. Anything of eternal value empty inside of us, except for 
the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's what he's driving home. You'll see it on the screen. Write it down. The mission of God is only accomplished by the power of God. You've heard that before? The mission of God is only accomplished by the power of God. Think about this. To live as a witness for Christ and see eternal fruit and God's kingdom advance for his glory is literally, get this, dun, 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 dun. It's literally mission impossible without the Holy Spirit. It's literally mission impossible. You cannot convert a heart. You cannot change a mind. It doesn't matter how you've got your arguments all stacked up and I'm gonna do it. You cannot do it and neither can I. Mission impossible without his empowerment. You and I are 100%. Hey kids, kids, if we're gonna live as witnesses for Christ, you and I are 100% dependent on the Holy Spirit to live as his witnesses. You say, that's a little bit overkill. What's the big deal? Why can't I just rush into my day? Why can't I just have my tasks all lined up and then I'm going to go after them? I can do it, right? I can do that. No, no, no. Let's remember who the Holy Spirit is. We're going to be unpacking him over the next two to three years. Praise the Lord. Watch this. Let's get a snapshot. Holy Spirit. Who's the Holy Spirit? Why are we dependent on him? Third person of the Trinity. We're not going to go through these. I suggest you in your quiet times take this and do a study on pneumatology. That is the study of the Holy Spirit. Take it. Do it this week. Look up these verses. See who he is. It's going to set the trajectory for the rest of the series. Third person of the Trinity, God himself, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God, three distinct persons, all one God. Spirit of God. The term is spirated by God the Father and the Son. Breathed out the breath of God. Same essence of God. That's why he's fully God. Now watch this. He's our helper. We see that in John 14, 26 and John 16, 17. What does it mean to be helper? Our counselor, our advocate, our intercessor, our comforter, and so much more. The Holy Spirit is our helper. Oh, but it gets better. Watch this. Holy Spirit, Luke chapter 1, 35 to 37, is all powerful. Talk about the Christmas story. Can't wait to get into the Holy Spirit at our Christmas service. Uh -huh. Hey, invites. We'll get to more of that later. So Luke chapter 1, 35 to 37. Nothing is impossible with God, the angel tells Mary. You will be, he will be conceived by the Holy Spirit. Yes, nothing impossible. He's all-powerful. That is the term omnipotent. Here's the next thing, all-knowing. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 to 11. It means the Holy Spirit is omniscient. He's all-knowing. I want someone like that to fill me, don't you? He knows the hearts of people. He knows what needs to be said in that moment. He knows the witness that needs to be given. Let's, uh, loved ones, we need him. We need him. Here's the next one. He's ever-present. This means he's omnipresent. Psalm 139, you see it in verses 7 to 10. The psalmist says, where, David says, where can I go from your presence? Where can I go from your spirit? He's everywhere. He's omnipresent. Present. He's not a little whiff of like smoke or cloud that we so often. He's a person and he's everywhere. Awesome. Awesome. Who's like our God, eh? Who is like our God? Our God's awesome. Praise the Lord. All right, F. I hope your faith is just welling up right now. The Holy Spirit illuminates God's word. John 16, 14. Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will take what is mine and declare it to you. It's like, you ever been reading? You're reading in scripture in the morning or maybe in a sermon and all of a sudden you've read a text that you've seen like three times, four times, 30 times, whatever, and all of a sudden, boom, you see it with fresh eyes. You know what that is? The Holy Spirit 
illuminating scripture for us, to understand it, to apply it. Oh, praise the Lord for the Holy Spirit. Here's the next thing he does, convicts of sin. John 16, 8, he convicts us of sin. Praise the Lord for the work of the Holy Spirit. So we don't just go on and on and on living miserable, dry, joyless lives because we're just entertaining sin. The Holy Spirit's got to get that right. There it is. That was wrong to say that. That was wrong to act that way. And if we're sensitive, don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't quench him with defensiveness, saying, I don't have to, making excuses. Don't do it. Nothing good comes from that, loved ones, in your life or the lives of those that are impacted by you doing that. Don't do it. He convicts of sin. Respond. There's only comfort on the other side of repentance. Here's the next thing the Holy Spirit does. He regenerates. John 3, 5 to 8. Holy Spirit regenerates. That's a big term. And it just means this. Makes new. When the Holy Spirit opens your eyes and ears to understand the preaching of the gospel and you are saved, he regenerates you. He gives you a new heart. He doesn't just buff up the edge. He makes you a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Thanks for filling it in. Love it. The new has come. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He gives you a new heart. Takes out your heart of stone. Gives you a heart of flesh. Here's another one he does. Regenerates. He empowers. The Holy Spirit empowers gospel preaching. He empowers obedient living. And we see that in Acts 1.8. We'll dive into more of that, Lord willing, next week. How many times do you hear a sermon or, or, or in a small group discussion, you're like, man, that was like speaking right to me. Guess who that was speaking to you? That was the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm just not smart enough to do that. That's the power of the Holy Spirit at work. He empowers us for gospel preaching. Here's another one. So much more, but we'll climax with this. He glorifies Jesus Christ. How do you know the Spirit's at work? Jesus Christ is being exalted. John 16, 14. He will take... What is mine and declare it to you and he will glorify me. The glory of Jesus Christ is the mission of the Holy Spirit. That means anything that's taking our focus off Christ is not of the Holy Spirit. Be mindful of that as we go through this book. This beautiful book. See, it's like this. If I could sum it up this way. Okay, hopefully no sermon illustration fail here. I've seen too many illustrations fail. <laughs> Guys falling off ladders and all this stuff. Can you cut the lights, guys, please? Just cut them. Cut them. Thanks. Thanks, Chris Hosmer. All right. Here's the thing with the Holy Spirit. Kids, watch this. Trying to fulfill the mission of Jesus without the power of Jesus through the Holy Spirit is like trying to turn this lamp on without plugging it in. You realize that? Look at this. If I have this unplugged, it doesn't matter how much I know how lamps work. How much I know where the off switch is and how to turn it. It doesn't matter. Wait, what's going on here? But I know how it's made. I know a bunch of stuff about it. I know you got to put a light bulb in. There's a light bulb. I even know how to screw in the light bulb. It's about my capacity for any word. <laughs> Kevin, love you. And, and here's the thing though. Like, right? I can sit here till I'm blue in the face. Until you plug it in. Until you plug it in. Lord, don't let me down. <laughs> Until you plug it in. And then all of a sudden, the light works. There's power. There's power. Trying to witness and minister without the power of the Holy Spirit, it's like trying to turn this on without ever plugging it in. 
You have no power source whatsoever. This is why Jesus says, wait, wait. Do not try this on your own. See, you'll see it on the screen. A supernatural work must be done through supernatural power. A supernatural work, I'm gonna leave that right there. A supernatural work must be done by a supernatural power. We can do nothing without the Holy Spirit. Question, loved ones, will you depend on him? You've seen this little simple illustration, but it's so profound. Will you depend on him? Or are you just gonna try to keep flicking the switch? Nothing happening. Question, how many of us in this room right now, how many of us, just rush into our days and our tasks without giving a second thought to waiting on and seeking the Holy Spirit. I'm waking up. Okay, I've got X, Y, Z, all these tasks. Here's my little five minutes and then boom, with the Lord and then I'm out the door and I'm doing this and then I'm just rushing from task to task to task, meeting to meeting to meeting, activity to activity, activity. Now we gotta get the kids over here. Now I gotta do grocery shopping. Now I gotta clean the floors. Now I gotta make dinner. Now I, how many of us just rush? From task to task without waiting on and seeking the Holy Spirit for him to do his work in his way as we live in his power as his witness for Christ. And I want this to be helpful. You say, how do I do this? How do I wait? What does a life of waiting on the Holy Spirit, seeking his face, keeping in step with him look like? Here it is, just real quick, three things. Through his word. It's clinging to his word every day and say, teach me, Lord. Teach me. The Spirit knows, 1 Corinthians, the Spirit knows the mind of God. The Spirit knows, and he's ready to renew our minds. The Word of God is living and active. We say, Lord, teach me. Secondly, prayer, fervent prayer. We say, Lord, fill me. Fervent prayer from meeting to meeting. I just said in the pre-service prayer to the teams, don't depend on the work of the Holy Spirit that he just did in the practice. We need him again. We need him again. It's for it. Lord, fill me again in this meeting. Fill me again as I'm going out to the store. Fill, invite him in fervently. Prayer is our declaration of dependence on him. Thirdly, obedience. Obedience in the power of the Spirit. You keep in step with him. How do you know you're moving by the Spirit of God? You're obeying the word of God. That's how you know you're being led by the Spirit. You obey the word of God that he inspired. That brings glory to Jesus Christ. Revelation always leads to responsibility. Remember that. We have a responsibility to put into practice what we hear and receive. In our marriages, in parenting, in the workplace, in our agendas. Hey, hey, in your agenda, you look at the week. Are you giving time for uncommon communion? Just be honest. Don't be defensive. We have a saying in this church. I love it. Ditch the defensiveness. Come under the word of God. Look at your schedules. Is there time for uncommon communion in between the appointments? Not just in the morning, not just in the meeting, at the lunch hour, on your breaks. See, this is why I love our service teams. Did you know, by the grace of God, did you know that our service teams, they come in every Saturday at 2.30 to set this place up for the glory of God? Can we just give a hand to our setup and production teams, please? Love y'all. Love y'all very much. And they would be the first ones to say, yet not I, but Christ. But here's the thing. The first thing they do is not just to rush to the task. 
We've got to run cables. We've got to set up lights. We've got to do screens. Why do they come in at 2.30? Because the first fruits of their service times are all in prayer and devotions, abiding in the Lord together. I love this. This is why we take extra time and we don't forsake it. Because without the power of the Holy Spirit, it's pointless. You're going to be flicking that switch all the time and nothing happens. Question. Here's something that rocked me. If the Holy Spirit decided not to show up on a Saturday night or in your small group, would, you, would we notice? If the Holy Spirit decided to not show up at that work meeting in and through you, would you notice? Here's something even more sobering. Would you care? Would we care? Would we care? Is the Holy Spirit welcome here in the services? Or do we just have our service order and it's like next to the next to the next to the next? Are we making room for him? And you may say, well, totally, totally I would notice. Really? Are you asking him? Would I notice, Lord? See, I can say someone's welcome in my house. But if I'm not unlocking the front door and opening it, they're not coming into the house. I can say someone's welcome. But it's only by my actions that I show it. Are we waiting on the Holy Spirit and doing the things he wants in his power, time, and way so Jesus is glorified? And as we finish this off, here's some great news. Even though the disciples needed to wait 10 more days until they're baptized in the Holy Spirit, and he was given to them at Pentecost, now, for all who've repented of their sin and confessed Jesus as Lord, the Holy Spirit, all of the Holy Spirit, is given at the moment of salvation. He's the seal. He's the guarantee of our salvation. There's no second baptism of the Spirit needed. There's no second baptism. This was the church breaking in. There's no second baptism now. One Lord, Ephesians says, one faith, one baptism. It's just clear. There's no second baptism. And at the moment of salvation, you have all of the Holy Spirit. He is your guarantee. And if you're here and you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I want to say this, Jesus is alive. And you're sitting in your shame and your guilt and your condemnation and your hurt and your pain, and he says, I can take that. I went to the cross for you to take that. And you can run and you can try to deny me and say I don't exist and all like this. You have a choice right now to bow the knee or one day you won't have that choice and you will bow. Because Jesus is alive. And he's the king, and we'll hear more about his coming kingdom, Lord willing, next week. Praise the Lord. But he offers you salvation. And the word of God is so clear. Today, when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, and you will have eternal life to say, Jesus, I believe you are the Messiah. And I believe I'm a sinner, and you are the Savior, and I need you. And you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. Will you do that today? And you can strive all you want, but without the power of the Holy Spirit, there's no peace with God. You can flick that switch as many times, not gonna happen. All your efforts are like filthy rags. Believers, here's the question for us. You'll see it on the screen. The moment you were saved, write this down, you have all of the Holy Spirit. But question, does the Holy Spirit have all of you? Does the Holy Spirit have all of you? Where are you quenching and grieving him with sin that is not dealt with? Where is your witness being hindered and compromised in your life? 
Maybe it's an unreconciled relationship with her brother or sister in this church. That's grieving the Holy Spirit and the glory of God is at stake, not just in your life, but in this church. How about this? Where where are we refusing to repent and making excuses for that sin and not humbling ourselves under the Lord? Where is that step of obedience lacking? Delayed obedience is just disobedience, loved ones, and it's grieving the Holy Spirit. Here's another one. Where are we grumbling and complaining and gossiping? It's quenching the Holy Spirit in your life and his power at work in this church. You have all of the Holy Spirit if you're saved, but does he have all of you? Loved ones, here's our big idea as we close. Jesus has entrusted us with his mission. And we must live as his witnesses, remembering our confidence that Jesus is alive and relying on his promise of the Holy Spirit to the ends of the earth. You ready, church? This is where it all starts. Let's go. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the King of kings and you are the Lord of lords. There is none like you. There is none beside you. There is none over you. You rule and you reign and you are alive. We thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to us, to equip us, to empower us, to comfort us, to lead us, to guide us, to empower us on mission, which is literally impossible without him. So right now I pray in the quietness of this moment, Lord, that we would be a church that says, Lord, I'm ready to do business, whatever it is. There's no cost too high. I'm through with the defensiveness. I'm humbling myself right here. Those who are running from you and have never confessed you as their Lord and Savior, say, Lord, I'm done running. I see the proof. Holy Spirit, you have opened my eyes to see and my ears to hear. Save me, Lord. I know I'm going to hell without you. And I can do nothing on my own strength to have peace with you. Jesus, you are the Messiah. Holy Spirit, have your work in us. Help us to be faithful with the ministry of Jesus Christ that he's entrusted to us. Not just here in Ottawa, not just here in Canada, but to the ends of the earth. And may our cry always be, yet not I, but Christ in me. Loved ones, will you stand and respond in worship with us today?